details of my life are quite inconsequential. Read my lips. If you have sex, your penis will fall off and land in another dimension populated entirely by dogs who will eat it. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I'm a paladin with 18 charisma and 97 hit points. I can use my helm of disintegration and do 1d4 damage as my half-elf mage wields his plus five holy avenger. And as president, I'm going to make it impossible for congressmen or lobbyists to slip pork barrel projects or corporate welfare into laws when no one's looking. Because when I'm president, meetings where laws are written will be more open to the public, no more secrecy. That's a commitment I make to you as president. The Michael Graff Show. It is my opinion he is a danger to himself and others and is in need of treatment. Some people are just too stubborn to know when to quit. And this guy just happens to be one of them. He's been beaten down repeatedly by God's practical jokes. He's been banished to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. From somewhere in desert Urbania, this is Michael Groff in Exile. Day two, Michael Groff in exile. It is Wednesday, December 23rd, 2009. And this little podcast adventure, this little uh, voyage of the broadcast, actual ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, right here. All right, so last night's podcast, yesterday's podcast went pretty well. Um, got some good response uh posted it up on facebook uh i you know i'm I'm basically having to rebuild everything from the ground up again and rebuild an audience and a base and everything like that this is going to take some time and uh whether or not i have the fortitude to stick with it in order to build that is uh well that remains to be seen but i i think i think i'll be able to i i i kind of hope so because i do genuinely Enjoy doing this show, really. Uh, that's kind of why I've been doing it since 2000. But I mean, for the most part, aside from some of the politics of the past, of you know, having to deal with affiliates and other people and just some of the madness that went on with the show in the past, I, I, I've always enjoyed doing it. So hopefully we will continue. But I'm gonna, I really am gonna have to count on everybody else to really. To help spread this thing like a virus. I mean, everything else on the internet is viral, and and most of it's meaningless crap, so why can't we spread this meaningless crap everywhere? I mean, that makes the most sense to me. All right, so on the show today, here's some of the stuff that I want to get into. Uh, As I mentioned yesterday, we were going to talk a little bit more about the health care bill that's going out there. Because this thing is just ridiculous. You know, um, in the open to our show, we play that clip from 
Obama during his uh, campaign, one of his last campaign speeches, how he said that there will be no more secrecy, no closed door meetings. There, this will be a transparent government. Remember that campaign promise? Remember that? Yeah. Uh, so much for that. It looks like Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid are going to be having some closed door meetings about this uh, health care bill. And that sort of goes against the idea of transparency, wouldn't you say? Because most meetings between uh, a the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader, generally speaking, those are televised. Those are out in the open. Most of those meetings go on in front of everybody. I mean, isn't that how it should be? These are people that you are paying for. We're the boss. And yet here, these people are, they're... Uh, they have the audacity to go and have closed-door meetings after promising not to. But then again, are we really shocked by this? Not really. All right, so we're going to talk about the health care bill, the ramifications of it, uh, who's for it, who's against it, whether or not this thing is going to get smashed through or not, I... I have a sneaky suspicion that it will be. I, I, I'm holding out some hope, but I, I really don't know at this point. I, I have to admit, it's it's starting to look a little bit sketchy. So we're going to talk about that. Got some uh, other things. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that I had some stupid nine one one calls and news and that kind of thing. Man, it's weird. Uh, I just so people know, this is a public service announcement for all of us here at uh, Michael Groff in Exile, the zip code famous Michael Groff show. Uh, this is my own little public service announcement. Nine one one is is there for emergencies. Now, what constitutes an emergency? Now, normally I would say people should use their best judgment for what does constitute an emergency. But since people seem to not have that kind of judgment, I'm going to just throw it out there that. Usually, if you have children that uh, don't, um, that won't get off their video game systems, that's not an emergency. Like kids that play video games excessively, not an emergency worth calling 911 for. It's called parenting. Look it up. And then you've got, uh, we have another story about a woman that calls 911 because I think it's because her husband won't eat dinner. <laughs> You can't make this up, folks. You just you, this kind of stuff. Uh, you just can't make it up. All right. Um, we have that. We have some music news. Look at this: the top grossing concert acts of the decade, the the biggest performers of the decade in terms of you know because we always hear about you know the 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 guy that sells the most albums or the artists that are selling the most albums, but no, this is. The people that are showing up for the concerts, the guy that has uh, generated the most revenue from concerts for this decade, 2000 to 2009, you won't believe who that is. It was a little bit shocking to me. I mean, not it wasn't totally out of left field. Well, it kind of was, actually. Kind of was. So we'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some music news. And, uh, you know, one of the old elements of the show that I kind of miss is where we review the top 10 songs of the week. So maybe we'll do that, not tonight, but I think we'll probably do that on another podcast here. We'll start kind of making that a, a regular feature again because people were kind of into that. And, you know, the cool thing about doing this podcast, there's many cool things about this that we really haven't even gotten into yet. But sort of the cool thing about this show now 
is, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of freedom for creativity and there's a lot of freedom for uh, whatever you want us to include in here, whatever you want me to talk about and whatever you want included in here, I, I'm more than happy to do. Now, uh, because in the past, what would happen is uh, when I was doing the regular show was sometimes people's topic suggestions were, well, I, I stupid is a, is a harsh word, but I, I guess there's really no other way to put it. I mean, I had some really bad topic suggestions, but you know, listen, I'm willing to make this, this show is really, it's not my show. I'm just here behind the microphone. It's really your show. And uh, I'm just sort of the, the mediator, sort of the, the go-between to make the show happen. So, and you know, the other thing about this is uh, somebody asked me uh, who heard the podcast, by the way, uh, lots of people apparently downloaded it or listened to it when we aired it last night or uh, have checked it out. So that's cool. Um, but people are asking, well, what about, uh, are, are you going to curse on the podcast? I mean, is the language going to be a little bit more free-flowing? It's not that I never could before. It's just that I, I sort of chose not to. You know, it, it's one of those things that I, I, it's, it's, uh, it's a, a personal policy of mine. But I don't, I don't care if other people do necessarily. Um, it's, it's something that I just, I'm not really a big... I don't know. I, I curse plenty when I'm not on the microphone, and uh, certainly when um, when circumstances warrant. Uh, but I don't know. I, I just don't want it to get gratuitous. And in the old days of the show, back when we first started doing the show, um, I know I, I let a few uh, let a few bombs fly. You know, I think it's been probably six or seven years since I let one fly out on the air. Um, I, I almost did a couple of times. Uh, there was uh, several times I was talking about either John Kerry or Howard Dean or or Michael Moore. Well, Jeff Jeff just uh, threw out a, an f bomb on Michael Moore um, once, and that was um, that was pretty substantial. That was actually that was pretty great. That's one of the best. Uh, that's one of the best moments in show. Well, I, I'll just say it. He, he we're sitting here. We're having a discussion about Michael Moore. I think it was when he was uh, releasing Fahrenheit 9-11 or something, or it was right around that time. And, and Jeff from the back, uh, Jeff just screams, fuck Michael Moore. And uh, it was, uh, it was, see, I used the F word, see? I mean, it was related to somebody else, but <clears throat> there, there, I dropped the F-bomb. What do you want? I'm not going to dump it. So there you go. All right. Now, listen, we have a, a full show. We got a lot of stuff that I want to get into here. Um. What else did I have? I, I had, man, there's there's so much still um, from even when we were on hiatus. I don't know. I'm not going to get to all that. Hey, you know, <clears throat> this is the other thing. What I uh, haven't talked about yet, something that I really didn't get into, was um, who died over the weekend, uh, Brittany Murphy. Now, I had no idea who that was. Quite well, I did. I mean, I, I she was in, like clueless, right? And something else. I don't know. There's some other crap. But anyway, she died and... When somebody that's relatively young just randomly dies for no real apparent reason, usually that's drugs. And apparently, now it's not official yet. It's this is not uh, this is my this is what we'd like to call allegedly. But uh, apparently, she died of uh, she had some drug issues. Surprise, surprise! A woman that was well, some people said it might have been an eating disorder. The woman is like rail thin. Yeah. The, the woman is rail thin. She's got, um, it's, it's pretty bad. So uh, that's, that's, uh, 
probably that's what happens when you have eating disorder plus drugs equals death. It's usually the equation. All right, and uh, there's some other stuff that we're going to get into also. Listen, it's, uh, it's going to be a full show, all right, as it was last night. And I want to thank everybody for their uh, responses and for um, the props and for checking us out and listening. And we're going to try and make this a, a daily thing. Um, again, what's cool about the podcast, another excellent dynamic is that I can sort of record it at, uh, to be pretentious, I'll say it like this, I can record it at my leisure and, and on my own schedule. As, as I said, I can record it on my own schedule at my leisure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I can do that, and uh, and that means I can have other people on. I can have Jeff in here. I can have anybody that I want on the show, and uh, contributing to the show, and that'll that'll make it good. I'll actually have to take up another microphone. I do have another one, so that's good. That one that actually works. Surprise, surprise! That's one thing in here that works. It's amazing. All right. So uh, this that's the format for the show. We're gonna still do it the same way we've done the other show. Um, we're going to try and incorporate some of the old elements. Now, somebody asked me about the crappy cover segment too. And I don't know if that's really going to be possible. I just don't know right now if we have enough juice and by juice, I mean, listeners, if we have enough juice really to, uh, sort of get, uh, people to participate in the polls and everything like that. I know the people that we have now, at least the cool thing I know now is that the people that we have are not lazy listeners. We actually have people that are going to participate in things. And so that's good. How long that lasts, too. That's that's the other thing. Like, how long people want to tune into my dopey podcast. I That's that's something else that we'll have to explore, but... You know, hey. We'll find out, I guess, right? Time will tell. All right. Mike at KMGX.com, by the way, is the email address. If you want to send us a message, AOL Instant Messenger, Michael Grob Show, the screen name. By the way, Mike at KMGX.com is the PayPal address also. Just throwing that out there. If you want to make a generous donation to, to me, I mean, I, I did have to spend an inordinate amount of money on gifts this year. Uh, money I didn't really have, but I, I did it, so it's what I do. All right, we're back after this. It's Michael Groff in exile.
segment number two. It's Michael Graf in exile. That's the program. Mike at KMGX.com, the email address. You can find us on AOL Instant Messenger, the screen name Michael Graf Show. Also on Facebook. I know, we're doing the Facebook promotion. That's Listen, uh, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with the show. Of course, you can just go to michaelgraf.com and do it that way. Subscribe to the podcast and get other people to do so also. And uh, that's that's all done, once again, through michaelgraf.com. All the uh, chat stuff, everything, it's all up there. It's in one convenient, unique place. At least I think so. That's just the way it is, but you know what can I say? I'm pimping my own product. I'm like Bill O'Reilly, except I don't have a bunch of crappy merchandise to sell. I should get that. I really need to get in on that on that uh, little venture where you know you self promote and you have all the uh, the crappy merchandise that you want to um, that you want to sell to your to your fans. You want to milk your fans for everything that they're worth, like Rush Limbaugh does and uh, and and Bill O'Reilly. Man, I need to start doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I've got a Rush Babe on board side. That was the best thing ever. When we, when we a couple of years ago, we went through all the uh, the merchandise over on RushLimbaugh.com that that, that that dude puts his name on. It's unbelievable. Him, you know, it's, it's one thing, radio guys that do that, it's just, it's so low rent to do that. It really is. Like, it's one thing if you've written a book. Okay, and you're selling that on your website. I mean, that's something that you really put a lot of effort in. It's your views. You're trying to get it out there. There's nothing wrong with selling a book. Maybe even I'll go as far as maybe a hat or a shirt or something. You know, there's I understand merchandising a little bit, but it's one. It's another thing when it's just everything that you could possibly put your name on. You sell on the website. Bill O'Reilly mouse pads, a no spin zone pen. And it's. It's ridiculous, too, because you're charging your audience an insane amount of money, usually, for these things. It's 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks. I mean, there's a, the Rush Limbaugh has that excellence in broadcasting chair. I don't know if he still sells that, but he, he advertises it as a leather chair when it's actually pleather. And uh, it's like 250 bucks or 300 bucks for like an office chair that's an excellent, ladies and gentlemen, an excellent in broadcasting chair. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's just not, I mean, who does that? Who, who milks their fans? Who goes through all that crap? I mean, that's just, it's, it's a bunch of BS that you're selling. So I, I, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't like that. And I, I don't want to do that, but <clears throat> maybe it's, we've come down to that. Maybe I need to start doing that. Why not? Why not? I should get mugs. I should get condoms, thongs, Michael Groff show, uh, you know, anything that I could possibly do that. That'd be, that'd be excellent. All right. Well, there's a few things here. This is just uh, getting out of hand. The, uh, the healthcare situation, the, the bills are flying fast and furious. And it looks like uh, the one that's going to get uh, the most, the biggest chance for approval and the biggest chance to get pushed through the Senate is the Harry Reid version of the bill. Now, the one that, there's several things that make that a distinguishing bill. We talked about it last night on the show. And one of the things, of course, is the fact that uh, you, the American people, get to pay uh, for other people's abortions. Yes, we're going to have government-funded abortions, folks. And I think that's, what a great idea that is. 
That is a tremendous idea. Um, so we're going to have universal health care where we pay for everybody else's abortion. So, you know, you're too stupid to use condoms and I get to pay for it. Now, of course, the argument is, hey, you get to pay for it one way or the other. So why not pay for the cheaper solution? Yes. So let's have government sponsored Hoover mounting. I don't know. It just sets a bad precedent. I, I've never been a big fan of paying for other people's mistakes. And uh, listen, I, I'm. I'm sympathetic to somebody that needs a chest x-ray, uh, that needs to get treatment for cancer, uh, that needs, um, that, that's in a bad position. I'm sympathetic to those people. I'm not sympathetic to the person that smoked for 45 years and now has lung cancer. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not really sympathetic to that person. You sort of dug your own grave and now you're expecting the taxpayers to bail you out because, yeah, no insurance company is going to take you on. I'm sorry, uh, they're probably not. You know, I mean, it's not a great system that we have right now, but unfortunately, it's the system that we're stuck with. And the government solution is not any better. Again, look at the VA. Look at the VA. Look at uh, Cigna. Look at any of the state-run healthcare or organizations. You're going to see it's bad news all the way around. Well, anyway, the reason that this bill is probably not going to get passed is because of, well, the Democrats. I mean, look, the Republicans have nothing to do with uh, keeping this bill uh, from being passed in the Senate. They're in the, they're in the slim minority right now. And, <clears throat> but there are some Democrats that say they're not going to push it through with this Harry Reid amendment with this uh, abortion part in there. Uh, for example, Bart uh, Stupak. Bart Stupak is a Democrat from Michigan. And he said that the White House is putting a lot of pressure on him. And they're trying to meet with him. And they're trying to sort of shove this down everybody's throat. They're saying, hey, um, look, look uh, we need you to compromise on this. We need you to compromise on this abortion part. And um, he says, quote, they think I shouldn't be expressing my views on the bill until they get a chance to try to sell me the language, Stupak told CNN News. He said, quote, I don't need anyone to sell me the language. I can read it. I've seen it. I've worked with it. I know what it says. I don't need to have a conference with the White House. I have the legislation in front of me. But see, they're saying, well, you know what? Uh, that doesn't matter. We want you to meet with us. And we want to sort of uh, pull you behind the, the, the curtain here and say, what are you, an idiot? You got to vote for this. You got to make us look bad here. I mean, we, we sold the country on a bunch of bill of goods that changed and crap. And uh, you're blowing it for us here, buddy. You're, you're supposed to be one of us. He's not playing ball. The Michigan Democrats succeeded uh, last month in getting 64 House Democrats to join him in attaching the pro-life amendment to the House version of the bill, uh, which is the Stupak Amendment. Now, let's, let me make this clear. This guy is for uh, some sort of universal health care, but he is not for the Harry Reid version of this bill. So before we start touting this guy as a hero, he's a hero in so much as he's probably going to hopefully stop this version of the bill. But no further. By the way, uh, let's see. He says, uh, this would prohibit the federal government from allocating taxpayer money to pay for any part of any health insurance plan that covers abortion, except, of course, in the case of, uh, case of rape, incest, uh, and, of course, if the life of the mother is in danger. Meanwhile, the thing that's most disconcerting about all this is that Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid 
are having these secret closed door meetings. They're looking to circumvent uh, any kind of committee, conference committee process in which the different versions of the health care reform were passed by each house will be uh, sort of reconciled. Now, you know, the House passed one version. The Senate has another version. And then in order to get this all together, before it can go back to the president's desk, they need to have one version of the bill that goes through both houses, and then the president will sign it. And uh, so they need to sort of get this together. Now, these kind of meetings between the House and Senate, they go on all the time for various bills. But usually they're televised, they're in front of the American people. These, uh, not so much. Not so much. These are very, uh, very secretive, closed-door kind of meetings, and that's not good. And in fact, North Dakota Senator Kent Conrad, he's chair of the Budget Committee. Now, he says that if the final bill, quote, isn't close to the Senate bill, there will be no way to get the 60 votes necessary to shut off the debate and pass the final product. Many House members, uh, led by uh, John Conyers from Michigan, he's insisting that any major changes uh, to this, they're not going to approve it. Meanwhile, Reed and Pelosi would have to come up with uh, a way to sort of bash heads in private and skip any discussion about further uh, revisions to the bill. So, Look, they're not going to do it. They're not going to be able to get this done as it is right now. But they're going to try. They're going to try and pull as many people behind the scenes and say, you've got to go along with us. Uh, We're going to get this on the president's desk. We're going to get some version of this bill. Even if it's a watered-down version, we're going to get this passed through. And then we can attach whatever we want to this later. All we have to do is get the ball rolling. Because once universal health care is approved, there's no way to turn it back. You can't stop it. Once the floodgates are open, there's no stopping it. It doesn't matter what the Republicans ever did in the future. It doesn't matter if they got a supermajority in the House, in the Senate, in uh, in the president, uh, in the president's office, in um, in the uh, Supreme Court. It doesn't matter. Legislative, judicial, executive branch. You can't stop it once you started it. The American people just won't go for it. What are you going to do? All right. Well, you're on the government dole. Oh, wait. Just kidding. Now you're off of it. Yeah, a little little political humor right there. Uh, Sorry about that. When Democrats took over Congress in 2007, they, uh, of course, um, they didn't send bills uh, through the regular conference process. And again, the reason they did this, they wanted to make sure that they got as many of these bills put through as they possibly could. Even though President Bush would, well, he never vetoed anything, as we know. Never vetoed any spending bill. I think he vetoed one bill. One bill in his entire eight years in office. I'm pretty sure only one. Could have been two. But it, it came toward the end, too, when eh, he's like, well, you know, might as well, might as well veto one of these. <laughs> Legislate. Legislation on uh, lobbying reform in the 2007 energy bill was handled the same way. Yeah, remember the energy bill. By the way, that was the same bill that got uh, daylight saving time changed. That was huge. Well, I'm glad the government did that. Well, at least they accomplished something. They rolled back daylight saving time in the spring by like three weeks. And I was, listen, that's, that's getting stuff done. 
I can't imagine why uh, the why Congress has a seventeen percent approval rating. It, d- it doesn't make any sense to me. What with with getting important legislation like that taken care of, you got to be kidding me. They they should have a 70, 80% approval rating at the at the very least. All right. Um, so that's the latest news on the bill. There's uh, some secret meetings going on. Um, we're probably going to get this uh, thing shoved through, unfortunately. So get ready. It's coming, I think. Not till after the new year. I don't think we're going to get any kind of a uh, bill passed until after the new year. But it, it is... Very possible to occur. We'll see how the Democrats hold out against one another, what kind of bill they get through. But I think eventually the message is going to be, as long as we can get something done, that's all we need to do. And then once that happens, we can attach whatever we want later. Because we're, at least for the next year, we're still going to have control of the House and Senate at the minimum. And... um, I mean, it's all up to the American people after that. Now, coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about this uh, in the next segment. I've got to get into uh, some music news. We have the top 10 performers of the decade in terms of concert generating revenue, concert revenue generated, rather. Um, yeah, Jeff Jeff says, uh, what, what did you say, Michael Jackson? Yeah. You think that he generated a lot of revenue in, the, uh, in, in, in this decade, yeah, 2000 to 2009? But <clears throat> well, maybe we'll see. But uh, I will give you the list now. the The number one performer is something that's a little bit out of left field. It's uh, a little bit surprising, not completely. But when you hear it, you're going to be like, "Wow, really? That particular artist, huh?" And then some of the others in the top ten are. Um, well, they're not quite as surprising. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. So we'll review that coming up. Um, and some other various news and thoughts and random things, uh, certainly. Uh, there's, there's still a lot to talk about and some of the feedback that we got from the uh, first show as well. So that was always appreciated. Um, if you want to check us out, keep up to date. MichaelGraff.com is where all that happens. We'll try to... Um, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to do a podcast tomorrow. I guess I I can. What am I going to do? It's not like I've got a lot else going on. Oh, terrible. All right. We're back in just a moment. It's Michael Groff in exile.
With segment number three, it's Michael Graff in Exile, the podcast, the epic uh, daily feature that we're that we're doing. We're putting it all back together. Yes, day two, exciting. I really should have probably gotten into the spirit of the holiday and used some uh, Christmas bumpers or something. You know what? Not so much. I've heard enough of the Christmas music to last me for another 30 years. You know, it's, it's weird. Like, every year, the Christmas music starts earlier, or it just seems to last too long. I hear too much of it, so that by the time Christmas gets here, I am sick of it. However, that being said... If I did happen to win the lottery or if somehow I became the general manager of a radio station, if somehow that scenario played out, I can tell you one thing's for sure, and that is that I would would start an all-Christmas formatted station. All Christmas, all year. I mean, have you ever seen the ratings for uh, KEZ, the local station here in Phoenix, or any station that goes like all-Christmas? For some reason, these these yentas that sit there and they listen to this like day after day, they listen to 82 versions of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Hey, it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is performed by Creed, you know? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know, it's like the, you hear that and you... And you, you just, you're, you're compelled to listen for some reason. So for whatever reason, people think that that is, uh, that's, that's good radio. So they tune into that. So I'm thinking, well, I'm going to capitalize on that. And I think it's, it's like 35 to 54 year olds. And I'd say it's mostly women, but I have to tell you that maybe not, maybe it's, it's more logical for the, um, to just, because there's guys too. I was in a store a couple of weeks ago and uh, I said, Hey man, don't you get sick of the Christmas? He was like, no man, I love it. I love it. I was like, wow, really? You'd think after hearing Frosty the Snowman 20, 30 years over and over the same songs. But then again, the classic rock stations do really, really well. So what what can I tell you? Jeff, pick up the... Okay, so yeah, Jeff's uh, Jeff's busy stripping right now. I don't, I don't really know what what he's what he's doing. He's putting his back brace on. Okay, well that's that's good. All right, anyway, um, I, I don't, I don't really get it. Um, I don't understand it. But that's the holiday thing. I think one of my favorite things that go on. Right about well, any time of the year, really. I love stupid nine one one calls. I really do. I don't know why, and not just nine one one calls, but people that call the police for the weirdest reasons. Now, it is it's sad and it's a waste of time, and these people need to be arrested. And probably some of them may, I don't know, should be quartered and shot. But 
I have to tell you that uh, this this is this is some good stuff here. So this is from Texas, of course. This is from Texas. Uh, specifically, where is this from? Hold on, let me let me uh, pull up this story here. This is from Kerrville, Texas. Prosecutors are going to review a case of a woman that authorities claim has called nine one one over thirty times in the last six months for non-emergency reasons, including. A call to complain that her husband refused to eat dinner. Last Friday, the woman allegedly made a pair of calls to 911, including a hang-up and another where a woman was simply heard screaming. Police were dispatched to the residence, and uh, Officer Paul Gonzalez uh, said that um, police told her that, quote, her husband not wanting to eat dinner is not an emergency. A police report said that the 53-year-old woman was also yelling, quote, about things that happened two weeks ago. And of course, you know what it's like. Officer, he doesn't even pick up his clothes. I'll tell you what, boy, the dang, dang old guy don't pick up his clothes. He don't do nothing around here. A couple weeks ago, you know what he did? He didn't even change the cat litter. But he didn't go to the cat litter box and didn't change that out neither. Officer, this guy, he wordless, officer. I tell you what, my dang, dang old. I mean, how, how a police officer, I have to tell you, it gives me newfound respect for police officers and the, and the duty that they do every day when the, you can honestly sit there and, and not shoot these people. Like, how do you go to this residence and then you hear this and, and then you don't just, you don't just, uh, Take out your gun and blast it. Put a 38 special right in their face. How do you not do that? Of course, the woman now faces charges of 911 abuse. And then here's another great one. It's game over for a 14-year-old Roxbury boy whose overwhelmed mother was so exas- exasperated uh, with his incessant video game playing that she called the cops. The final straw for Angela Magia snapped at 2.30 a.m. Sunday when, quote, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw the light in his bedroom on. Hours after she told him to go to bed. Sometimes I want to run away too, Magia said, breaking down in tears in her immaculate apartment. Quote, I have support from my church, but I'm alone. I want to help my son, but I can't find a way. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to also help this woman out by giving her some parenting classes right here. Now, you think after having a 14-year-old son, she'd probably figure it out by now. But, you know, some people just, they haven't gotten the parenting tips yet. Magia is among uh, thousands of parents struggling with today's video game-obsessed youth. By the way, I love this story. I had to read you this story word for word because the way it's worded is so, well, it's just... Just keep listening. So the Entertainment Software Association reports the popularity of video games is skyrocketing. Memo to the author of this story. This is so 1990. With, yeah, with 42% of adults intending to give or hoping to find one uh, in their Christmas stockings this week, Magia's son, one of four children that the 49-year-old is raising alone, was playing Grand Theft Auto which as they describe here is an exceedingly violent video in which the gamer assumes the role of 
ladder climbing criminal. Okay. Anyway, an argument ensued as Magia unplugged her son's PlayStation. Then this mad as hell mother dialed 911. Police responded and managed to talk the boy into shutting off the game and going to sleep. Now, when police have to be involved in the punishment of your child for something that should be as simple as proper parenting, perhaps perhaps it's time to just give your kids up. You know, maybe it's time you emancipated yourself from your children and said, okay, I've got a 14-year-old. All right, kid, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm a terrible parent. I've done a terrible job. I know nothing about parenting. You're a, you're a little alien and everything. You're, you're, you know, you're up playing... I mean, my God, a kid that's up playing video games in the middle of the night. Man, I have to tell you, I have to tell you something. Um, we should all probably be thrown in jail if that's a crime then. Because when I was about 14, let's see, that would be 1991 slash 1992. So I was, pro- I was up playing like Super Mario Brothers 3 and... Uh, Another, yeah, battle toads and things like that. I was up playing that uh, all night. Funny though, you know, my mom never yelled at me about it, and she never came in there and insisted and called the cops. Anyway, uh, oh, here's uh, the the child here, the the son, the fourteen year old says, "quote They, the police, uh, were just like chill out, go to bed." Magia said that she approves of athletic themed videos. But as for Grand Theft Auto, she said, quote, I would never buy that kind of video. No way. I called, uh, I called police because if you don't respect your mother, what are you going to do in your life? Magia, a cafeteria cashier at the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Jamaica Plain, said that the two officers uh, who responded, quote, were surprised that there was more involved than uh, putting the kid. Uh, uh, oh, then, um, yeah, than putting the lid on a uh, simmering uh, family feud. So, here's the thing, and again, this is this is kind of the important aspect to this. Good parenting requires you not to call the police if you actually have a clue. You usually don't have to call the cops. Now, if you have a kid that's a little piece of crap. That's something else. A kid that's uh, that's hooked on video games. Here's what you do: you take the, and I'm I'm gonna help you out. Normally, I would just dismiss this story and I would laugh and I would call you an idiot. But I'm actually gonna do something positive. It's the holiday season, so I'm gonna do something and I'm gonna do something constructive right now. Here's a couple of parenting tips, and for those of you out there that might have a child that is daring to play video games. But maybe they're playing them excessively. Listen, there is such a thing as excessive video gameplay. All right. So if if this is if you detect that this might be happening, this is what I would suggest you do. Okay. The short explanation is discipline, you idiot. Take away the PlayStation. Take away the Xbox. Take away whatever it is. Unplug it. Physically remove the unit from the room, put it someplace. Okay? I mean, wow. It's like I just solved the problem. Yeah, it's like, wait, I, 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 hold on. Let me, let me, let me go back and, and take these steps again for you. All right, what you do is 
First of all, you explain to your child that they might be engaging. First of all, this requires, this is like years though of, of parenting. It's not just this simple. Like you might've actually had to have been a good parent for several years so that your son or daughter knows the difference between normal and obsessive amounts of play and that they have a clearly defined set of boundaries and rules. So right now I'm sort of talking to the past here. I mean, I would have needed a time machine to fix this problem. But that having been said, okay, now that we're at this point, what you do is you just take the video game system, you take it away, you put it, you store it someplace, you stow it away, and then that's it. You're done. You're good. That's all you have to do. I know somebody's going to say, well, Mike, you're not a parent. You don't know. You don't know how hard it is. How hard is it to take away the video game system? You go in there, you unplug it, you take it out of the Hell, why does your kid, if you're this obsessed with it, why does your son have a TV in his room? Right. These days we give we give kids cell phones at age eight. We give them credit cards. We give them copious amounts of money. We give them video game systems. We give them instead of spoiling them or instead of, you know, just giving them all this stuff when you don't think that they can handle it. Don't give it to them. Make it something that they earn. See, this is a crackpot here, too. A woman that can't even bother to raise their their children without having to call the police. Well, this is somebody who has failed terribly as a parent. You know, that's what happens. If you have to call them, and again, sometimes you raise your kids the right way and they just turn out to be, you know, little crap heads, okay? They turn out to be little pieces of garbage. And so that happens sometimes. Sometimes, it's not often, but sometimes you raise your kids the right way and they still turn out to be scumbags. It'll, it'll happen. But in this case, it just sounds like poor communication, bad parent. Oh, no, by the way, I have four kids and I'm a cafeteria worker. Doesn't sound like you plan things out really, really clearly. I don't know. Maybe, you know, think about how many children you want. This is, this is again, I'm 32 years old. I have zero children. I couldn't afford to raise children. And I have zero children. See, it's weird. It's, it's like, once again, I'm injecting personal responsibility into the conversation. I know. Yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. Anyway, Emmy Award-winning uh, documentarian Lawrence Kuttner, former director of the Center for Medical Health and Media at Massachusetts General Hospital, is the author of Grand Theft Childhood, The Surprising Truth About Violent Video Games and What Parents Can Do. He says, quote, clearly it's a very, very rare situation for someone to call the cops. You know, I wonder if it is. I have a feeling that this is the new solution to everything. Well, I'll just call the police. I'm going to call the police if you don't settle yourself down. Actually, I don't know where this one took place. The other one was in Texas. I don't know where this story is. But I think that's probably an appropriate accent. That she went to the extreme of calling the police tells me more about her level of frustration than anything else. No, it tells me that she's a crackpot and doesn't know how to raise her children. Quote, adults tend to view video games as isolating experience, Kuttner said. Quote, kids view them as social experiences. It's a way in part, uh, especially for boys, of gaining social acceptance. Whoever, this guy, if he wrote this book, 
just based on that quote right there, um, I don't know. I don't know how much credibility you can put into this guy. Do you know that the the largest growth in popularity in video games is among females, particularly teenage and early 20-something females? And, you know, of course, that centers a lot around MMOs, massively multiplayer online role-playing games for those of you who are a little bit slow back there. But uh, the games where you go online and, you know, a lot of those RPGs and stuff, that's, that's where the biggest group. But even females are getting into, like, the first-person shooters and, you know. And it's, you know, 20 years ago, yes, it was a male-dominated thing. But now, not so much. You know, females are getting into it big time. And that's how people communicate. These. It's, it's, it's the thing now. It used to be when I was a kid, um, it was weird for adults to play video games. I mean, kind of, aside from like Pong. It really was. It was, it was kind of like, socially speaking, people go, oh, you're an adult and you play video games? Huh, you're weird. But now it's like people, everybody who was my age then is now, you know, 30 years old now and we're still playing video games. Jeff is sitting here right now. He's playing Call of Duty. He's playing, yeah, Modern Warfare 2, which is like what, if you haven't noticed, that's what half the country apparently is playing. All right. Anyway, so, and of course, this, this always brings me back to this. So... The greatest 911 call, though, or not, not, this isn't a 911 call, technically. This is just a, um, a police call. The greatest call belongs to some whacked out broad in Orange County, California, who called 911 because her burger wasn't made correctly at Burger King. They didn't make her Western burger correctly. This is a phenomenal call. And this is another woman that, oh, I, I don't know whatever happened in this story. I should go look up the, the backstory on this if there, ever, if there is an accurate one to be found. This woman had to get arrested, right? I mean, really, for wasting... She didn't call 911, but she did call the police because they didn't make her order the, the way she wanted it. Here, here's the call. This is great. Fire department, how can I help you? Yeah, I'm over here. I'm over here at Burger King right here in San Clemente. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not San Clemente. I'm sorry. Um, I live in San Clemente. I'm in Laguna Niguel, I think. That's where I'm at. Uh-huh. I'm at a drive-thru right now. Uh-huh. I, had, I ordered my food three times. They're mopping the floor inside, and I understand they're busy. They're not even busy. Okay, I've been the only car here. I asked them four different times to make me a Western barbecue burger. Okay, they keep giving me a hamburger with lettuce, tomato, and cheese, onions. And I said, I'm not leaving. Uh-huh. I want a Western burger because I just got my kids from Taekwondo. They're hungry. I'm on my way home, and I live in San Clemente. Uh-huh. Okay. She, said, she gave me another hamburger. It's wrong. I said four times. I said, I want it. She goes, can you go out and park in front? I said, no. I want my hamburger right. Oh, so then the, the lady came to the manager, she, or whatever, whoever she is. She came up, and she said, um, she said, um, do you want your money back? And I said, no, I want my hamburger. My kids are hungry, and I have to jump on the toll freeway. I said, I am not leaving this spot. And I said, I will call the police because I want my Western burger done right. Oh. Now, is that so hard? Okay, what exactly is it you want us to do for you? I send the officer down here. I want, I want them to make me right. Ma'am, we're not going to go down there and enforce your Western bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? 
This is this is between you and the manager. We're not going to go enforce how to make a hamburger. That's why that's not a criminal issue. There's there, there's nothing criminal. So I just there. stand here. So I just sit here. And you pop. you need to calmly and rationally speak to the manager and figure out what to do between you. She did come up and I said, "Can I please have my Western burger?" She she said, "I'm not dealing with." She walked away Cause, because they're mopping the floor and it's all full of suds and they don't want to run. They don't want to go through there and. Imagine what that woman's children are going to be like. They have a crazy ass mother. Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that I, I wouldn't, if I had that call, if I was the uh, the officer. But well, first of all, I have a feeling that if there were a penis involved in uh, in this story, that wouldn't have ever happened. It really wouldn't have. Truthfully, because that woman let that go on way too long. As soon as that woman called up and said, I want my West, I would have just said, okay, ma'am, thank you. Thank you. Have a nice night. I mean, that would have been the end of that. There was no reason for that call to be over two minutes long. And that woman was a ranting idiot. That is uh, maybe one of the greatest calls ever, though. It really is. I'm still sort of looking through here to find the worst song of the decade. Because, you know, we are coming to the end of the 2000 to 2009 decade. We're coming to the conclusion of this. And uh, what was the worst song of the decade? Now, I have to say that if, if I'm nominated, I'm sure Fergie's got to be in the consideration for this. You know, because everybody's doing their list. And I'm a big sucker for a list, as you know. I love lists. And these year-end countdown lists, I love this. So, um, But Fergie's got to have, like, one of the worst songs of the, of the decade, right? That Fergalicious if this song is not the worst song of the decade right here, then I don't know what is. Listen up, y'all, because this is it. The beat that I'm banging is delicious. Like, honestly... First of all, it's ripped off from J.J. Fat anyway, uh, Supersonic. But... Beyond that, it's just a really terrible song, and I I can't imagine who likes it, who's over the age of 14. But I ain't promiscuous, and if you were suspicious, all that is fictitious. I blow kisses. That puts them boys on rock, rock, and they be like... All right, that's enough. That's got to be the worst song of the decade, right? Maybe it's her cover of Barracuda, though. Because that's pretty atrocious, but it's got to be Fergie in some way, shape, or form. Here, here's a little. I don't get the appeal of Fergie. I really don't. 
First of all, the music is horrible. She's not even really that attractive. There's, there's like a, a million, a million chicks hotter than her. That just aggravates me to hear that cover. First, Anne and Nancy Wilson are sitting here. They're trying. They're going out on tour. They're performing that song someplace for like twenty-five people in a coffee house because you know, listen, it's it's their heart and it's two thousand nine. Meanwhile, Fergie is going out and she's doing that in arenas someplace. I mean, they're not going there specifically to hear that song, but she's still performing it in front of tens of thousands and heart the people that actually did that song originally and did it properly and they didn't sound like idiots doing so maybe the worst song is um well she did that song uh, london bridges that was a terrible song a glamorous there was another song uh, all of her songs seem to involve her spelling as well like this one here this song's pretty bad too although not nearly as atrocious as some of those other ones, but still pretty bad. G L A M. If you ain't got no money, then you broke. I'm glad they stated the obvious in the song. That's how I say change. Change. If you ain't got no money, then you broke. <laughs> oh, my God. you ain't got no change, then you broke. I mean, they have a bakery where they bake their goods. All right, anyway, uh, so that's got to be one of the worst songs. All right, now, speaking of uh, the biggest acts of the decade. All right, so, so Jeff... Uh, who do you think was the biggest concert draw of the decade? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just going to say Michael Jackson because... Okay, well, it wasn't. It's not Michael Jackson. In fact, I don't know if he's even in the top 10 here. Let me look over this. Well, he's not. But the, the biggest act of the decade... I don't even have my drum roll anymore. We, well, actually, that's probably somewhere. But anyway, here it is. The Dave Matthews Band was the number one, the number one concert draw of the decade. You'd think it'd be somebody like Prince, Bruce Springsteen, U2, Rolling Stones. Nope. The Dave Matthews Band not only ended up with the highest um, cumulative concert gross from 2000 to 2009, um, but the group also had significantly more tickets sold than anybody else. So he was the top grossing actor that most money generated and uh, sold the most tickets. Even though he didn't sell the most albums, but he did sell the, the, the most... Uh, by the way, I think the group that sold the most albums was, uh, I think, the Beatles still, or U2. I can't remember. I'll, I'll go look that up. But 
Yeah, uh, the Dave Matthews Band uh, grossed $529.1 million. Now, they didn't get all that money, but that's, that's the amount of money grossed by, the, by, their, uh, by their concerts in the last 10 years. The group also sold 11.7 million tickets. That's insane. The Dave Matthews, seriously? I mean, listen, I don't have a problem with the Dave Matthews. A lot of people don't like Dave Matthews. You know, I- I'm cool with it. I mean, some of the songs are real clunkers, but I mean, I-, I like I like some of the tunes. I'm cool with it. They're good musicians. I mean, you'd have to, even if you're not a fan, you know, you'd have to, uh, you'd have to acknowledge that. I still... On our, uh, on our station, we still play... Uh, We'll play some of the new stuff, too. We'll play Funny the Way It Is. It's an all right tune. All right, let's see what else here. Consistency also factored into the runner-up on the tally for the uh, decade. A performer who spent half the decade in one city. Yes, Celine Dion. She was number two on the list. She had $522.1 million in gross revenue. And gross would be the word. She spent all that time in, uh, in Las Vegas. She had like a billion dollar contract though, didn't she? She had some insane contract, which started in the 90s, I remember. Oh my God! They somebody actually is. Uh, now once again, that's your that's your housefrau population. It's not this song that everybody went to see, though. It's this song. There we go. Oh my God! A large portion of that came from her five-year run at Caesar's Palace where the average ticket prices far exceeded most of uh, any pop concert tour. I think tickets for Celine Dion were like a hundred bucks or something. And let's see. Behind the Dave Matthews Band and Celine Dion in the top five were, let's see. Oh, here we go. Kenny Chesney, $455.6 million and 8.6 million tickets sold. Do you have any Kenny Chesney in the library? That, that's another artist I don't understand the popularity of. Uh, to me, country is country. It all kind of sounds the same. You know, it's the same crap. I'm not even going to make the reference to, you know, if you play a country song backwards, you get your dog back. And now, country now isn't even twangy anymore. It's, it's sort of twangy, but it's not like, um, it's not so, like when you hear country now, you don't get the image of black people hanging from trees. Now you get like the image of just, you know, down home folks and Alabama singing about God and America, which is pretty much what, country has evolved into it's just it's nothing but patriotic songs with fiddles and songs about 
you know, I'm always going to love you and we always going to be good and a lot of bad grammar. I don't think I have any Kenny Chesney. I have Kenny Loggins. Oh, well, whatever. I thought I had Kenny Chesney in here. There's got to be something. Hang on a minute. I got to understand the popularity of this. One second. Let's look. Let's look here. Besides anything to get rid of Celine Dion. Let's see. Uh, do we have anything in the dump directory? What a great song. I have one. I only have one Kenny Chesney song in the library. Here we go. We have. We have a song called Don't Happen Twice. You're riding a camel. Camel country. I haven't seen you in forever. Oh, I can see why this is so popular. Oh, you haven't changed a bit. You didn't think that I'd remember. How is this different from Garth Brooks? How could I forget? Or Keith Urban. We sang Molly McGee. On the hood of my car, I wasn't sure where they were going to go with that. No reference to a cow, though. There was... I think I heard a truck though. To this day, I still taste that first kiss. All right, anyway, rounding out the top five, we have uh, Bruce Springsteen, 443, 444.3 million dollars, 5.7 million tickets sold. Wait a minute, 5.7 million tickets, 443 million. Does that mean that it was like 80 dollars a ticket? Wow. That's about right. And the Rolling Stones, of course, 426.9 million, 3.2 million tickets sold. Others in the top 10. All right, number six was U2 at uh, 391 million, 391 million bucks, 4.4 million tickets sold. You know, I like U2. Um, the problem is, is I like U2 circa 1987. Now, I mean, actually, they've had a couple of good songs this decade. They had a couple, couple of good tunes. Beautiful Day, I like that song. I mean, I heard it way too much. I could go the rest of my life without hearing this song again, and I'd be okay with that. Like, every time I went to a ball game, especially a, a baseball game, I heard this song. The heart is a blue. And unlike Coldplay... They will sell out. They will. They'll put this song in anything. This song was in about 95 commercials. No space to in this town. You're out of luck. 
let's see who else was in here. At uh, number seven, Madonna at $325.3 million and $2.1 million tickets sold. The Eagles, look at that. Hot damn, at uh, $313.4 million, $2.8 million tickets sold. How did the Eagles still pull that? I thought they hated each other. Well, they must love the money. I I can see it right now. Well, Don Henley, uh, you said a lot of terrible crap about us, but man, we really do make a lot of money together. I mean, that's smart. All right. And then, um, let's see, Madonna, the Eagles. Uh, Elton John, 286 million, 286.4 million, actually, 2.5 million tickets sold. And uh, most of that is on the strength of like five tickets sold. The price for a Billy Joel and Elton John concert ticket, I remember when they came through here, they did a, that joint concert. The cost for that was, I think the cheapest tickets were $150. And uh, more expensive seats were like two fifty or three hundred fifty dollars. Wow! And people paid it. They were like, "Hey, it's Elton John. I'm gonna go pay." And listen, I I like Elton John and everything. You know, he's cool and all. But uh, I would not be able to justify shelling out three hundred dollars for an Elton John concert ticket. I'm sorry, or even Billy Joel. I mean, Billy Joel, you know, good artist and everything. But do I really want to shell out three hundred dollars to hear him do Uptown Girl? Not, not, not so much. Not so much. Again, I, I, you know, Elton John. There we go. Yeah. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like when a freezer just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You wind up like the wreck you hide behind that mask. I, I like Elton John. I can admit that. I don't like every song. It, I don't. I don't like Crocodile Rock. I don't like that crap he did for the Lion King. I'm sorry. I, like I could go without hearing Circle of Life. But that's one of those artists that, you know, you, you admit to liking, even though it is kind of a, a wussy sort of artist to admit to liking. You know, especially if you're... Yeah, it, it doesn't make you gay just because you... gonna come down? When are you going to learn? Should I stay on the farm? See, this is a good tune. Listen to my old See, I know the words to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Right now, the Dave Matthews Band is laughing, though. Well, we got more than you. All right, who else is in here? Let me see. Um, Jimmy Buffett is number 10. $285.8 million, 4.5 million tickets sold. Those parrot heads. Can somebody please, I beg you, 
Somebody please explain the popularity of Jimmy Buffett to me. You have to. Somebody has to explain that. I don't get it. I, I don't I don't understand. Every song sounds like Cheeseburger in Paradise and Margaritaville. They're the, it's the only song that I know. I mean, they all sound like it. I've heard other songs. They all sound like that song. And really, can anybody name any songs of his other than those? You can't. I believe he has a, a channel on Sirius Satellite Radio. I think it's called Cheeseburger in Paradise or something. No, it's called Margaritaville. Well, surprise, surprise. I don't know if it's just his music on there or if it's, you know, music that has inspired him. Let's see. Uh, Celine Dion and Kenny Chesney might take special satisfaction uh, at their high rankings, being that they're the only acts in the top 10 that have launched their careers within the past 20 years. Let's see, other acts of note. Uh, finishing at number 15 was Metallica with $225.5 million in growth. I thought it was kind of over for them. Well, I guess they made uh, Probably most of that was made kind of early in the decade, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, they... As Jeff points out, uh, that St. Anger album, which he calls St. Anus, um, he says that was pretty terrible. I'll take your word for it. With country trio Rascal Flats at number 16, 222 million. NSYNC. NSYNC was number, was number 18. $196.4 million grossed. Britney Spears was number 19, $195 million. Um, here you go. Trans-Siberian Orchestra was number 20. Da, 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 da. They do that, that cool version of Carol of the Bells that you know we've all heard 7,000 times, but you know right now I'm going to play it again because why not? Why not have a three-hour-long podcast? Actually, I like Trans-Siberian Orchestra, though. That's, that's one of the Christmas songs. Like, I, the problem is, is it, it was, it's a cool version, and then everybody else got a hold of it and then played it to death, and then that was the end of it. Like, I remember this song when it never got played on the radio. Then it got popular, man, and I hated it. I'm, I'm one of those douchebags. I hate when people do that, but in this case, it's because it just got overplayed. But I do like this version. This is my Christmas contribution. I'm playing a Christmas song this year. Happy Holidays from Movieball. Mannheim Steamroller did. They must have gotten quite a bit also. That's the other thing. I always, I hear Rush Limbaugh. He pimps them like every year. They must have pictures of him with Vicodin. 
ladies and gentlemen, Mannheim Steamroller is uh, the greatest, the greatest uh, band ever. They uh, they had a their version of Jingle Bells is uh, phenomenal, ladies and gentlemen, and only liberals would hate it. Trans-Siberian Orchestra is their bitch. All right, anyway. Let's see if there's any other uh, notes on this uh, list of the of the biggest draws of the decade. Let's see. We also have, um, you know the band Fish? P-H-I-S-H, Fish? They're like this, I don't know, I I had never heard of them until, and people go, you never heard of Fish, man? Until a few years ago I heard of them, and, and they're like a jam band. And uh, they actually, even though they broke up kind of early on in the decade, they uh, they they got $116.7 million, 2.6 million tickets sold. That's incredible. That is, that really is, that is, that is absolutely incredible. A band that, I mean, they never had any hits. And there you go. There's a band that just went out and, and jammed their way to $116 million. You know what, man? Uh, this, this is inspirational. I should go and I should just go start jamming places. Who are you? I'm just showing up here. Pay me. Yeah, we're just... I'm just going to bring a bunch of people and we're going to go to, to like a, we're going to go to a restaurant or we're going to go to some place. We're going to go to like, no, we'll just, you know what? We'll just show up at the Dodge theater. We'll just show up at the Dodge theater and just start playing our instruments. Who are you? Who are those guys? I don't know. They look like they're supposed to be here. Oh, here's one other uh, story. This is, there's some controversy brewing because people are upset that Carl's Jr., and Burger King. They have sort of a, uh, a battle going on. Fast food supremacy. And what they're doing is they're rolling out these ad campaigns with these, with these chicks, you know? These hot chicks, I guess. Well, alleged hot chicks. Anyway, and um, some say that it's uh, degrading to women and that it's, we're going back to the 50s and that this is um, sort of de-evolutionizing advertising. So on one hand, you've got Kim Kardashian. She, yeah, she's um, she's got that. Uh, she's on like the webcam with Carl's Jr. customers for the ultimate salad lunch date. Facebook.com/slash Carl's Jr. By the way. On the other side, you've got the Burger King shower babe, which is apparently an anonymous twenty-year-old from South London. Folks can watch and uh, hear her online while she showers in a bikini and sings. Viewers are asked to vote for what song she'll sing and what bikini she'll wear. And then I guess then she, you know, she, she does that. Yeah, and Jeff says she needs to be naked. Anyway, uh, one, quote, seriously lucky person in the UK who visits the website singinginthshower.com or .co.uk, singinginthshower.co.uk will win a breakfast date with Shower Babe. Well, can you imagine the creepers that'll show up for that? Hey there, uh, <clears throat> I got my date with the Shower Babe. Mm. 
Uh, actually, one. Uh, I went on that website. I've been on there 24 hours a day. <laughs> Tell you what, man, I'm going to go on there and I'm going to give me a day with that shower, babe. Man, can't wait to throw it in the back of my van that don't got no windows in it. Anyway, this may be the virtual future of fast food advertising. Never mind that Burger King is pitching breakfast items and Carl's Jr. is pitching salads in these promos. Um, chains such as Burger King and Carl's, which uh, clearly target teens and 20-somethings, uh, find that the triple combo of hot chicks, fast food, and webcams work well to draw hard-to-reach teen guy prime customers to their sites and ultimately their stores. Critics, of course, well, they're all over the place. And if it doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in your face. See what I did there? See how I incorporated that in? I think that was 10 years ago that they had that ad campaign. But anyway, quote, it's as if we're back in the 1950s, the way pop culture portrays women, but with new age technology, says Terry O'Neill, president of the National Organization for Women. Boy, I always wanted to know how now felt about this. Uh, honey, I hate to tell you this, but women have been uh, sex cells and women have been used in ad campaigns like this for, well, yeah, since the 50s. And it ain't changing. You know how you could change it? Don't go to Carl's Jr. Don't be hot, Jeff says. Martin Lindstrom, a marketing consultant, questions whether sex in ads really sells. While viewers are quick to recall uh, sexual imagery, they mostly forget what brand is behind the ad. Quote, what does sex really have to do with burgers? Nothing. Remember when Paris Hilton, she did a Carl's Jr. ad. Yeah, you want to eat a burger after you have sex. It's, it's really that simple. Quote, that's not the point, says Andy Puzder, CEO of Carl's Jr. You can say a thousand times that you have a great burger and no one will listen to you. But if you have a beautiful woman in the ad, they will. It's true. Sex sells. It's been a universal equation forever, and it will continue to be. If you don't have a, a, a sexy ad, then you have to have one that's at least very funny that people are going to remember. I mean, I don't know. People know the Geico commercials. People know, you know, those um, Bud Light radio ads. I mean, there's some cultural iconic commercials. Even if you're not a fan of commercials like me, I, I generally hate commercials, but everybody knows those. Consumers who buy new Carl's salads between December 30th and January 12th will be given a special code granting access to ask Kardashian questions during the January 13th virtual lunch date. No code is required, however, to watch the event via streaming video. The BK site advises fans to, quote, watch our shower babe shake her bits to the hits at 9.30 a.m. every morning. Wow. The campaign, which began December 8th, ends on Thursday. The site had 70,000 unique visitors. I mean, 70,000 seems kind of low, actually. 
quote, while we know it won't appear to uh, or appeal to every uh, customer, BK spokeswoman Michelle Miguelez says, uh, quote, we do know uh, what it does resonate with our key male super fans in the UK. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the kind of people that they're going to get, though? To, oh, got me a lunch date with the shower, babe. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can imagine some of the drug, the dregs of, uh, of, of South Wales or somebody's going to show up there. I, I mean, this woman, I, there's probably going to be security detail. All right. And for your lunch date, we've provided 14 security guards. I say. Probably some 75 year old. I am an elocution professor at Oxford University. It's nice to be sitting here with you, shower babe. And there's no chance of sex, is there? <laughs> yeah, not even, not even a little bit. Not even, you're not going to get to touch my bits and pieces, right? Not, none of my naughty bits are up for sale here. And then uh, some of the comments that are left on this story, they, they crack me up too. It's, most, it's a lot of people, a lot of women that probably are not very attractive that are upset. And uh, they say things like, this is so degrading to women. Last I checked, now, I, 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 maybe I should ask the shower babe uh, who's, who's next to her, holding the gun to her head, forcing her to be in this commercial. Yeah, it's nobody. These women, they're in there of their own volition, their own free will. They participate in these commercials. It's not degrading to women. You know, it's, it's degrading to women if the women don't want to be there, if they're forced into it. You know, you can almost say that um, prostitution, you know, where you have like underage uh, females that are being pimped out, that's degrading because that's somebody who's being forced against their will, in other words, to go and participate in an act, a sex act, or some sort of act that they're not interested in doing. You ever see those, those beauty pageants of like uh, seven-year-olds? You know how they have like, they always, they trot out like, uh, now they're, they're getting beauty pageants down to like kindergarten age. It is, it's disgusting. And you know, that, that's degrading. Because what that is, that's parents that, that they trot their kids out there, they get them all dressed up and they, they force them to take like these, um, well, they force them to take elocution lessons and lessons in, in uh, like modeling. And, uh, and those, now those are the bad parents right there. Those are probably the same parents that, uh, you know, um, make 911 calls uh, about their burger not being made properly. I'm pretty, pretty sure those are the kind of people that are up to that. But anyway, uh, I mean, it's, that's, that's degrading to women. But an adult female who decides that she's going to participate in a commercial like this, that's not degrading. You know why it's degrading? These are people that are upset because... Those chicks are hot and, uh, and they're not. That's the bottom line. They have it and you don't. I mean, if, if somebody came to you, average middle-aged housefrau from Long Island and said, hey, would you like to be in a Carl's Jr. commercial? What do I do? Well, you're going to be in a shower, but you're, you'll be in a bikini, so it'll be all good. And um, I mean, you know, listen, you're 300 pounds, but that's cool. Uh, you're going to be in a, in, a, in a shower scene here in a, in a Burger King commercial. 
They'd be all over that in a heartbeat, especially if you said, how much does it pay? Well, we're going to give you $200,000 to do it. They're like, okay, where do I sign? Well, I thought that was degrading to women. Well, that was before you offered me $200,000. I mean, all these people, these are the same people that are all over the Tiger Woods thing that's, you know, talking about how he's such a scumbag. But meanwhile, they'd be all over it too if they had the opportunity. It's the same thing. It's easy to judge other people and say, oh, yeah, how degrading, how terrible, until, you know, you're in that position. And then all of a sudden, it's not so bad. All right, well, I think that's going to put a wrap on uh, this edition of, the, uh, of Michael Graff in Exile. Um, call, it a, uh, call it an evening. In a few hours, I get to record a, another podcast. So, oh, no, it's, it's, it's all right. I'm digging it, so it's all good. You want to get in touch with us? MichaelGraff.com has all the contact info, but just in case, I'll let you know that Mike at KMGX.com is the uh, email address. I should probably go through and clear out my webmail again because I know it's uh, it's loaded to the gills with spam. I I. I when I wasn't able to check my, uh, my Mike at KMGX.com account for a long time, literally it was like three months where I couldn't. And uh, I, it wasn't even three months. It was, it seemed like it. It was a couple of months. I think I had 10,000 spams. And, I, and well, I had like 10,000 emails and I think... I think five were legit or something. Maybe it was 10. It was a very small number. It was definitely less than a dozen. And that was just on one email account. So yeah, Mike at KMGX.com. That's also for our PayPal. You can uh, always donate something if, you know, just hint, hint, wink, wink, if you like. And we're going to try and uh, keep this going every single day, the Michael Graff Show podcast edition. Joining me in studio and, uh, and playing PS3, uh, playing Call of Duty, is uh, Jeff. He's, he's upset at his game because apparently he's not very good at this game. I don't know. Or it's not even, I don't know, whatever. I don't know how you... I, I could never play a first-person shooter on a console again. I, I, I can only do it on a PC now. Oh, my God, an adult playing a video game. How culturally unacceptable. All right, join us next time when Jeff will say... Nothing. <laughs> Not for sure you get your balls. All right, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Have a great one, everybody.